you know that there is power in prayer? Do you know that power, that, that prayer is actually a very powerful experience, something that you can do in your life that, that makes a real difference? Do you know that? Do you know that that's the reality? Do you know why prayer is so powerful? Do you know why prayer is so powerful? Just like I was telling the kids, it's because of the one we're praying to, right? We as a church community, we have a lot to be praying about. We've got some big things going on, right? Whether it's in our denomination, whether it's uh, asking us or, or leading us to make some pretty big decisions individually and corporately. As a, as a local church, right? We're beginning to ask if it, if it might be better for us to, do, to, to pursue the mission that God has given us together with other churches here in our community. As one church with one mission for one community. Or is it going to be better that we stay separate? Big questions. So I've invited us to pray for 21 days during this series of messages. Praying for 21 days for our church, for our community, for God's call on our lives as disciples. I pray that you've taken this this up to lift these prayers to God, to, to to ask Him to lead us no matter what. This 21 day journey, maybe you say, 21 days is a lot. I can't, I can't pray like that for 21 days. Fair enough. How about two days? How about two days, then you forget a day, and then two more days? Right? How about two days in a row? And can we do that? And you just repeat that again and again and again. Right? Like, if you've got three days, or five days, or 15 days, great. Praise God. Praise God. Ask Him to lead us. Continue to lead us. My desire is that through this, and that, that we would become people of prayer. That we would become people desperate to see God work, as we talked about last week, the power of desperation. That we would be desperate for God to work, so desperate, in fact, that we would pray. That we would pray. That, that we would resolve that, okay, I can't fix it. I can't make that happen. But God might be able to. So today, we're going to continue talking about bold prayers. Bold prayers and what they look like. If you were part of a small group or you got to watch one of the videos about this, uh, the the small group videos, you were introduced to the the author of the book, the the pastor who who wrote the book, and he pastors a church in D.C., National Community Church. And and in it, he talks about how he he walked from F Street to M Street, a big section of Washington, D.C., from Capitol Hill all the way down to the barracks, and and how he circled that in prayer. And, And Along the way, he stopped to pray at several locations along the way and and how those places, many of them, actually would eventually over the next years would become parts of their ministry. Places where they have outreaches into the community. It was, was I mean, he has amazing stories of how God has answered their, their, their church's prayer. And I say all that because that happened in D.C., but why not Rock Hall? Why not, why not Rock Hall? We have all heard stories of relationships being restored. Why not yours? You've heard relationships of, of, of spouses coming to faith late in life. Why not yours? Why not yours? Why not us? Why not now? Why not now? Any reason why not now? No. Other than God's asking us to pray. God's asking us to pray, to pray, 21 days, 
prayer is powerful because prayer is powerful because prayer is all about communicating with God. We're not just talking to ourselves. We're not just sharing news and events and, and needs in our lives when we offer those prayers up to God. But no, we're actually communicating with God. He's actually here in the room. One of those powerful prayers in Scripture, I believe. One of those powerful times that we've ever seen prayer in Scripture was when Jesus was on the cross. When Jesus was on the cross and, and he's, the, the crown of thorns has been thrust upon his head, he's dying, right? And what does he do in the midst of that? He's praying for others. He's praying for, for himself, but more importantly, he's praying for others. He's praying for God's glory, God's will to be done in the midst of that. All that to say one of the most powerful things you can do when you're going through difficulty, when you're struggling, when you're hurting, the most powerful thing you can do is to connect your life to God. It's better than anything. It's better than trusting anybody else. It's trusting God. Before Jesus died, before he died, he told told his disciples to, to go to the upper room and wait. Go back to Jerusalem and wait for my spirit to come. And you know what those disciples did? They went and they waited. <laughs> they did what God told them to do, what Jesus told them to do. They trusted him. That's the best thing for us to do is to go and wait, to go and pray and wait. And they did. They waited and they prayed. They waited and they prayed and God sent the Holy Spirit to fill them. This miraculous thing happened. They were able to speak in languages unknown. They were given power. They found courage to walk out of that room as changed people. Why? Because they were convinced. The Spirit of God had convinced them that He's real, that He's alive in me, and I can do nothing else but follow Him. That day, 3,000 people came to faith. That very morning, 3,000 people. I mean, you hear that and you think, God can, can actually live in my body, and, and He's alive in me too, and And that kind of gets you excited. Some of you are pretty excited about that idea. Some of us are like, "Ah, I don't know. Jesus says, go and pray. I don't know. Because we're scared to pray. Because what if he answers? What if I pray for something and he actually says, okay, this is what I want you to do. I may not be able to do that. I may not want to do that. We're scared to pray. Some of us are worried about not having the right words, as one of the kids said. Like not being able to, to use enough words to get God to hear my, our prayer, to answer our prayer. I just want to say, first off, it's not about how you pray. It's like Miles said, it's about your heart that you bring to prayer. Some of us are angry. Because God didn't answer our prayer before. So I'm still mad. I'm still a little salty about the fact that he didn't answer my prayer. And so why would I come to him again? Some of us are tired, just tired. It's been long. It's been quiet. God's been quiet. I just want to tell you that God isn't offended by your, by your anger. He's not offended by your doubt. He's not, a, he's not offended by your, your worrying about, about any of that because God loves us. He promises to never leave us nor forsake us. God, God hears our prayer. He loves us. First, he offers himself first, even when we don't want to. God is at work. 
God is at work. So keep praying. Hang in there. Keep praying. All I'm asking is 21 days. Keep praying. Asking God to show us what's possible. I saw a video uh, a while back. It's an old video. And you may have seen it. Uh, it's good all the same. And I think I have it here. And you'll be able to watch it. Uh, we have one of our team members that is starting surgery right now uh, for breast cancer. And we'd like to say a short prayer for her if you would like to join us. Uh, it's Miss Trish. So you all know her out in our dining room. Uh, today's a rough day for us, so we're hoping that things go well. And so this will just take a second. We're going to try to do this as fast as we can. So if you bow your heads. And I'm not great at this, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, just protect Ms. Trish as she begins her surgery today. Please give the surgeon a steady hand as they uh, perform the needed surgery on her. And please keep everybody in the, in the surgery room. Uh, let them be at their best today and have sharp minds and clear heads as they work on her. Uh, we need her back here. Uh, she is our life. She is uh, the pillar in the community for us. And everybody here loves her so much. And please, please just protect her and get her back here uh, to brighten our days, all of our days, as soon as you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I don't know if you could hear all of that, but this is a Chick-fil-A restaurant, right? And you've been to Chick-fil-A enough to know that, that the place is kind of a madhouse. They've got it down to a science, but it's a madhouse all the same, right? And, you know, the, the drive throughs full of cars, and the restaurant's full of people, and there's 20 people in line to order their food and everything, and people are standing around waiting for people to deliver their food. And the manager comes out and he says, hey, everybody stop. Everybody stop, if you don't mind. Just I ask you right now, we're going to pray for one of our employees who's got breast cancer and she's going into surgery right now. Everybody stopped and they prayed. And he says, he says I'm, not, I'm not very good at this. You know, I don't do, I don't do this very often, you know, but, but just pray with us if you would. And everybody prayed. Powerful. Powerful. I mean, can you imagine this guy? I mean, he's putting his faith out there, right? He's like, I don't, I don't do this. I'm not, I'm not good at this. But I believe in the power of prayer, so I'm willing to look foolish. I'm willing to ask you to do it. Trust knowing that, that you may not say yet. You may not pray with me. I'm willing to trust. I'm willing to risk because I believe the power in it is worth it. I believe what God wants to do in it is worth asking you to take the risk. Because I'm going to take the risk, he says. He believed in the power of prayer. He trusted that God hears his prayer. Willing to look a little foolish. Last week as we started in this book, uh, The Circle Maker, we heard a story of this guy named Honey, right? Honey the Circle Maker. Uh, he, 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 if you remember the story, right? It had been a drought for, for quite a while. People had been praying. He'd probably been praying. And then one day they asked him to come out and lead the community in prayer. And he draws a circle in the sand. And he stands in the middle of the circle and says, God, I'm not leaving until you let it rain. What? <laughs> he set himself up to look like a fool. Did he not? He was willing to look foolish. I mean, because it ain't rained in quite a while now. It could go quite a while longer. And what's he going to do? A week in. 40 days in. 50 days in. 60 days when they say you're going to die. If you don't get out of that circle, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? He was willing to look foolish. He gave himself no escape clause. 
He didn't say, he didn't say hey, we're going to have a prayer vigil. We're all going to sign up for an hour slot, and we're going to meet here at the altar and pray. He didn't do that. He said, I'm not leaving this altar until, God, you answer the prayer. Different. That's different. That's, that's taking the risk of being a fool, of looking to be a fool in front of everybody. What if God doesn't answer? He trusted him. He trusted him to do what God does, the miraculous. Drawing our prayer circles, right, oftentimes, it looks like an exercise in foolishness. But in reality, all I'm asking us to do is exercise some faith. Exercise some faith. Believe that God will do what he promises to do. Think Noah felt like a fool when he started building that boat? When it had never rained before? Right? Last week we talked about the Israelite army marching around Jericho. Do you think they felt foolish? Everybody inside the walls of the city were like, what are you guys? You guys are idiots. Walking around here. How are you going to conquer us just walking around? Little boy David. Think he felt foolish when he picked up those five rocks to go fight a giant? Peter, when, when Jesus called him out of the boat, do you think he felt foolish when he said, uh-oh, now i got to get out? Really? Like, I just wanted him to make me able to do that sort of thing. I didn't mean he was going to call me out right, like, okay. Yeah. The results speak for themselves, though, right? Noah was saved. Jericho walls fell. Peter walked on the water. Goliath was defeated. Foolishness is that feeling that, that we all face when we're called to believe that it's really possible. It's really possible. It's the same feeling that Moses had when, when he went to Pharaoh and said, set my people free. Foolish. Foolish. Like, what, what business do I have doing this? But God had called him to. The same God who would later say, pass your staff over the sea, and it will divide, and you'll walk through on dry ground. The same God who said, speak to this rock, and it will deliver water. The same God who said, I'm going to lead you wilderness if you just follow me. Every one of them through the life of Moses delivered powerful miracles. Powerful miracles. These prayer circles that I'm asking, they, they often feel foolish. And maybe that's the point. That it takes belief, it takes faith to actually pray the circle. To draw the circle around a promise of God and, and claim it for myself. Something that God wants to do in my life. To say, yes, God, you want to do that in my life. I believe it. It's tough to believe that. If you aren't willing to circle, if you aren't willing to draw the circle, you're not going to experience the miracle. One of the most difficult risks that we take, right, is this, when we risk our reputation. Tony knew this. I mean, he, he risked the same thing, but he was willing to. And the rest is history because he did. <laughs> Greatest events in history have always been, have always been when people risked shame, ridicule, foolishness. And if you're unwilling to risk your reputation, you'll never build a boat like Noah. You'll never get out and walk like Peter comes a moment in life where you have to make a call between am I going to trust God and, and risk looking like a fool around people or am I just going to
take what comes. Moses learned this lesson of taking risk, of doing things that God calls him to. That if you don't risk, you forfeit the miracle. If you don't risk, you forfeit the miracle. Jesus, and, and Jesus explained, and I'm going to talk about that in just a second, but today, we, we're, as we look at these bold prayers, right, what are we willing to pray about? What are you willing to pray about? Some of us don't think prayer is worth the effort. Because we don't grasp the vision that God has for us. Vision. Where is God leading you? Where is your life headed right now? Where's your community? What's the future for your community that God has? Your family. What is it? Your business. What do you see tomorrow being? See, vision is, is a clear picture of a preferred future, of God's preferred future, we might even say. Vision like this is convincing, it's convicting, it's, it's compelling, it makes you want to give it all. Give it all for it. That's absolutely worth it. Everything in your heart and your mind, they both in concert say, yes, I want that. And when you have that, when you see that, when you, when you believe that that's what we're going after, then you're willing to give everything for it. Jesus tells a parable about this as the, the motivation for it in Matthew Chapter 13, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. And when he, he saw what was possible with God, when he saw the promise of God for his future, for the future, he said, everything I've got, I can give it all up for that. There was nothing that he was going to hold back that from being a part of what God was going to do. He gave up everything. He was compelled. He was convinced of what God was doing. And I guarantee you that he began to pray bold prayers. We will pray bold prayers. We will be willing to look foolish. We will walk our prayer circles around our neighborhood. Around We will stand in front of the same house and pray again and again and again because that's our prayer, right? We'll walk around that same school every day. We'll be willing to look foolish doing the same thing all the time because we're convinced that God is at work when we get an idea of his vision for that place. For that place. We'll be willing to look foolish. We'll look for opportunities to pray with and for our neighbors because vision fosters confidence. Vision gives us confidence in what God is doing. So we need to be clear on where God is taking us. As, a, as an individual, as a family, as a church, as a community, we need to be clear on where God is taking us. Last week we saw Joshua was very clear. Joshua knew that it was the city of Jericho that was going to be, uh, we've got to, we're going to take that city because God has called us to it. He was convinced. This week we're going to look at another example from earlier. The, he points out in the, in the book, Circle Maker, the story of Moses. Moses clear that he was to take the Israelites to the promised land, right? But the people, the, the Israelites themselves, they didn't want to go. I mean, they wanted to go, but they didn't want to, they wanted to take Egypt with them. 
mean, they all remembered what it was like to be slaves, to be oppressed, and yet part of them wanted it back. Numbers chapter 11. We don't often read from the book of Numbers uh, because it's a book of Numbers, right? And so it's, it's part of the Pentateuch, which are the, the first five books of the Old Testament, which are the books of Moses. Uh, and in it, he describes again part of the, uh, the Exodus story. In, in Numbers chapter 11, it reads this way. The rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, they've been given manna from heaven, right? You remember that? Manna every morning, they would go out and they'd pick up this manna. So they're, they're living on this bread of heaven, literally bread from heaven, and, and they're complaining. If only we had meat to eat. In verse 5, we remember the fish we used to have in Egypt. Oh, my goodness, that rockfish is delicious. It was free. Of course, we were in bondage. We were enslaved. But the fish was free. There were cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Oh, my goodness, the flavors we had. But now we've lost our appetites. I'm sick of eating manna. I'm tired of this miracle. We never see anything but this daggone manna. They're complaining real good, aren't they? In the midst of a miraculous delivery, they can do nothing but complain. All the good things that are happening, they're, they're free. And yet they complain. They aren't satisfied. You ever been not satisfied? Yeah, I know, yeah. No, no, we don't struggle with that. Maybe Jonah, he's the only one in here. Like your kids are the only ones that struggle with, with the fact of not being satisfied. No, it's all of us, right? God, maybe a bit put out by their complaining, he tells Moses, he said, Moses, I hear them, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give them meat to eat. Moses is probably like, all right. He says, I'm going to give them enough meat to eat for a whole month. <laughs> Moses is probably like, how in the world, God? You know how many of us there are? That's a lot. Moses said in verse 21, God, I'm here with 600,000 men on foot and their families. And you say, I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month. God, come on. Would they have enough? If They wouldn't have enough if you kill all the flocks and herds, if you caught all the fish in the sea. That wouldn't be enough for these people. There's no way, God, you can keep this promise. There's, I don't see how you're going to do it, God. I don't see how you're going to answer this promise of yours. You ever been there? Where God shows you something that, that, that he wants, and you're like, I don't know how that's ever going to happen. And so you stop praying for it. Like God shows you something that's so big, so outlandish, you're like, ah, nah, it can't be from God. i got to pray for something smaller ever done that? Something more reasonable. Something within your grasp. You're going to pray for that. Which God would say, don't bother praying for stuff that you can do on your own. Ask me for the things that you can't do. You know God wants to, you to you take a job that pays less maybe, but it just doesn't add up. You know God wants you to, to go on a mission trip or to serve somebody, but you just don't know how it, Financially, how that's going to work. Maybe God wants you to invest yourself into something now in your retirement, a different phase of life. And you're like, oh, but that's going to take me away from this and that that I really love. Maybe God's calling you to foster a 
child. And you're like, oh, I can't go back and do that again. Several years ago, I, uh, after I came to faith in Christ, I was invited to go uh, on a, a, an Emmaus weekend. You, you may have heard of it. Several people here have gone on those weekends. They're not for everybody, but it was for me that weekend. I can tell you that. I, uh, I left that weekend, and it was three days with a bunch of strangers that I didn't know. But over and over again that weekend, I heard God asking me, would you, would you really give all you have and follow me? I heard that again and again and again. So I went home, and my wife, she had not been on one of those weekends. She asked me, so how was it? And I said, well, this is my takeaway. I said, God is asking me, would I give up everything and follow him? Would we, as a family, give up everything and follow him? And so we prayed and talked. And, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would or not. A couple years later, um, I'd always, well, even before that, I'd always dreamed of owning my own business. I was always wanted to have my own business. That's something that my dad had always told us as kids to, to, to work for yourself, right? If you're going to work for somebody, let it be yourself, somebody you can trust. And so when I moved to Maryland, I went to work with my wife's family, and they were kind of grooming us to, to be the next generation in a fourth-generation business. And I was excited about it. I was looking forward to it. We were making plans for it. And then in April of 1999, Columbine happened. Columbine happened, and, and uh, well, God said, what are you going to do about this? God said, will you do something? And so I prayed that night that, that God, yes, I'll do what you've told me to do. And, uh, I found out a little while later, I left my job that fall to teach school. I had been in school since the last time I broke into my old high school. <laughs> but God had called me to, to go and do something, to reach kids and to make a difference, to not let that be normal. And unfortunately, it's become more and more normal since. To love those who are desperate for hope, to reach those. And that's, that's why to this day I'm, I'm involved in ministry in our, high, in our schools because that's where people are. That's where a bunch of kids are that don't know hope. Don't understand hope. What's the next step for you? I'm not saying you've got to go all in and quit your job. But what's the step between hearing God's call and, and, and starting to live into it? I believe it's prayer. It's prayer. God gives you a picture, and then you begin to pray that prayer. Like, okay, God, help me to see how I might Leave everything and follow you. How can I follow you in this? Pray that prayer. Right? That's the next step. It, pursuing the big dream that God has for you, the next step is prayer. Today, write it down. That's the next step. Write it down. Even if you think it's crazy, write it down. Write it down. Circle it. Circle it. Begin to offer it to God. Sometimes, you see, it's the fact that we can't see how in the world that would possibly be. So we dismiss it. We just kind of, eh, that's not, not there, there's no way that's going to happen. I couldn't do that. So we don't write it down. We don't, we just ignore it. We go on to find it. Okay, we got a prayer list here. We can pray those things because I'm pretty sure that those things, those are things God can do. You know, so we'll pray the list that somebody else is giving us. 
Matthew chapter 14, Jesus tells the story of, or Matthew tells the story of Jesus and his disciples and the, the, the feeding of the 5,000, right? And the disciples had no idea. How, Jesus, what do, you want, what do you mean? You want us to feed them? We don't have anything to feed them with. Like they had no vision for how Jesus was going to work. Jesus says, bring me, the, bring me the fish and the rolls and watch. And what did they do? Their disbelief. They, didn't, they, didn't, they couldn't imagine how Jesus was going to do it. But what did they do? They were obedient in the moment. They were obedient. They just did what Jesus told them to do. They Go get the fish and the bread and bring it to him. Obedient in the moment. Well, how do we practice obedience when we can't fully see the vision? Pray. Just pray. Jesus says, pray, and I'll show you. I want to give my people vision. Pray. Some of us may know where God is leading us. Pray. If you don't know where God is leading, pray. What else are you going to do? Nothing. The question is, do we trust God enough when we don't know? When we don't know. Do we trust God enough to follow anyway? Can you be obedient in the moment to pray, even not seeing the big picture yet? Can we be faithful in the moment as God is revealing where he's taking you, where he wants to take your church? Can you be obedient in the moment when when you don't fully see what he wants to do in your family or in your free time or in your retirement, when you don't fully see what God wants, are you willing to pray? Even in Moses' frustration with the Israelites, he prayed. Right? He asked God. Answer the problem. Answer, solve my problem, God. For, even while God was a little put off by the complaining Israelites, right? He answered Moses in an amazing way. Verse 31 of Numbers chapter 11 says, Now wind blew, went out from the Lord and drove the quail in from the sea. It scattered them two cubits deep all around the camp as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than ten homers. Then they spread them out all around the camp. Now, when the quail stopped falling, the Israelites started gathering. The, 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 each Israelite, we don't know how much a homer is, but maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I'm going to tell you how much it is. It's between, it's, it's over three bushels per homer. Each Israelite went out and gathered 30 bushels of quail. 30 bushels. That's a lot, isn't it, Charles? Yes. 600,000 people went out and gathered 30 bushels each. That makes a lot. I, yeah. If you can do the math, that's a whole bunch of quail. God said, I'm going to give you so much quail you can't imagine. God doesn't provide... In, in just normal ways. God provides in dramatic ways. God provides dramatic proportion to anything we could ever ask. Moses would never have anticipated <laughs> 30 bushels each. No way. We don't need that much, God. You don't, have to be, you don't have to go that far. No, God says, no, that's the point. I don't have to go that far, and that's why I'm going that far. It was unpredictable. It was unprecedented, but Moses believed it. Moses asked for God to answer, and God answered in an amazing way. So is there a specific promise that you're praying that expect God to do something? Like, like you can't over-ask. You can't over-ask. But we need to circle that promise that God has 
for our family, for our marriage, for our children, for our grandchildren. We need to circle that promise that God has for this stage of our life. We need to circle that promise, that, uh, that dream that we want to pursue, that we've always been putting off and we've never thought we had time to do it, but we need to circle that prayer for God, for Him to get the glory. Not for us, for Him to get the glory. Something you don't think is possible that God says, no, it's, it's well within my realm. I've, I've started coaching high school kids for a long time, and over the past several years, I've, I've begun to coach uh, through some, some courses that I've taken, some training that I've gotten through Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I've begun to coach kids in what, they, what we call three dimensions, right? Head, heart, and soul. And, and, and connecting all of those in the field of athletics. And, and the scripture that came to me years and years ago, before I started in ministry, before I started teaching school, when I was in, during Lent one year, when I was memorizing scripture every day, I was led to this passage in Ephesians chapter 1. And this passage has stuck with me ever since. It is my desire. It is the, it is the thing I circle when it comes to my ministry with kids and with students. Why I'm at the high school. Ephesians 1, 18 and 19. I pray that your hearts may be flooded with light so that you can understand with the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are rich and with a glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. God wants us to understand what is possible through faith. That's been a burden of mine. That God is at work 24-7, drawing people to him, working in people's lives. And if we would only see it, kids would have hope. Kids wouldn't be confused. Families wouldn't be given up if they could see the hope that God has for them. Even if in the moment it doesn't feel like he's at work, he's at work. They could trust that. Before God sent quail, seek. God asked Moses a very important question. A very important question. I think I had that passage of scripture. I did. Verse Numbers eleven twenty three. In the NIV, it says, "The Lord answered Moses." It, Moses said, "You got to do something about these people, but but uh, you can't you can't feed all six hundred thousand of this God." The Lord answered Moses, "Is the Lord's arm too short?" We may we hear that and we're like, what? What? The, the, the hand of God, is, is it unable to do what God, did God get out over his skis? God, are you sure you can do that? Like, ah, is that, that's what Moses is thinking, but the Lord says, what do you, you think I can't do it? Another translation says, is there any limit to my power? Is there any limit to my power? He says, you'll soon see what I've said will happen or not. You're, I'm going to prove it. You think I can't do it? Watch. Watch. God can. The God we pray to can. The question is, who answers your prayer? Who answers your prayers? Are you left to answer your prayers? No? If it's the God of the universe? I mean, this is the question we have to answer. This is the question we have to resolve. Because the answer to this question determines, determines the way we pray. How big our circles of prayer are. 
The Lord answered Moses these words, arm too short. How do you view God? Can he do anything you ask or imagine? For the creator of the universe, what's, what's impossible for God? For the creator, the one who, who didn't start with seeds to grow plants, but actually created the seeds that grew the plants. They didn't start with the egg to have chickens. He, he came up with the chicken to lay the egg. What's impossible? What's possible for your God? Is God truly omnipotent? That's the word, that's the theological word that we use to describe God, that he is all-powerful, right? If there's nothing that God can't do, that shapes your prayers. Yet many of us pray as if our problems are bigger than God. So let me remind you of this, right? That God is bigger than your biggest problem. And God is bigger than your biggest dream. His grace is sufficient for all things. Just like it is sufficient to cover my sin. To restore my relationship with my Heavenly Father. So is his power greater than anything I might face in this life. Anything you might face in this life. Your divorce, your bankruptcy, your diagnosis, your habit, your hang-up. God is bigger. God is bigger. But what I, how I, I can tell you that, and that doesn't, make, that doesn't matter as much as what you tell yourself. That's what really matters in your prayer. Is, is how big is your God? Because if you have a small God, it's going to lead to weak prayers. If you have a big God, it's going to lead to bold prayers. Why? Why, why is it? Because, because of small prayers, actually, they come out of, a, a, out of pride. Out of pride. Like, I don't, I don't need God to do that. That's prideful to say I don't need God to do things, that I can do it. And humility leads us to say, God, you're, you can do all things. Moses was, didn't understand how God could possibly answer the prayer. Provide food for a month? How is God going to do that? Didn't add up. And so God asked, is anything is there anything that limits my power? And that's a question that we have to ask today, too. Is there anything, any limit to God's power? Is there any limit? I'm asking you, is there any limit to God's power? How do you see that? Is there anything that God can't do? No. If he knows no limits, then neither should our prayers. Neither should our prayers. You know, God, God exists outside of the, the, the world as we understand it, right? That he, he is, all things are possible. So if all things are possible, there's neither easy or difficult. There's neither possible or impossible. It doesn't exist for God. Everything's possible. There is no impossible. Like, he doesn't even think of, can I? <laughs> that, that, that thought never enters God's mind. It's difficult for us to get our heads around what an infinite God can do in the finite world. If you're like me and one of the kids, when we pray these kind of big prayers, we want to use big words because we got to connect with an infinite God. When all he asks us is to trust him, 
Just trust him. Ask and trust that it'll be done. Is there any limit to my power? God asked. How do you answer that today? Do you have a dream? Do you have a dream that, but wonder how you could ever accomplish it? Instead of trying to figure out how you'll reach the fulfillment of your dream, instead of figuring out, like, you needed to see all the steps, instead of trying to get your mind around, well, what would need to happen in order for that, in order for that, in order, instead of that, instead of trying to figure out how God is going to answer that big, crazy, wild dream you have, what could you do right now? What could you do right now? Your dream is to be out of debt. I need to be debt-free because whatever this stage of my life, I need to be out of debt. Instead of, like, I don't know how God is going to get me out of debt. What could you do right now? What could you put off spending today? What could you put off today? I don't know how in the world God is saying that he's going to restore my relationship with my, my child or my spouse. Or I don't see how in the world God is, could possibly do that. Well, what could you do today to show that person that you appreciate them, that their relationship with you matters? What could you do today? God, I, don't, I, I see God has a, a vision for my retirement. He wants me to be involved, take on this new ministry, but I have no idea how in the world it's going to happen because, frankly, I've got too many things that I want to do. And, and What could you do today to make that possible, to move one step closer to what God is asking of you? What could you do? What could you do to get, get your kids back into faith? What could you do to, to see your friends come to faith in Christ? What's one thing that you could do today? Because I believe that when God gives you a vision, he will also give the provision. He'll make it possible if we just are obedient in the step. If God's asking us to get out of the boat, then the first thing is to throw a leg over. Right? If he asks you to build a boat, the first thing is to go get some wood or fiberglass, whatever the case may be. Right? If the first thing is to do is just to start. To start. Believing that he's going to see it through. Believing that he can send the wind that's going to blow the quail into the camp. Believing that he will provide everything that's necessary for the dream that he's put into your heart. Do you believe that? What step do you need to take? What step do you need to take today to be faithful to the promise that he's given you? Maybe it's to start praying like the disciples did in, in, Matt, in Luke 11, verse 1, where they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Maybe it's, Lord, lead me. Lord, show me what this dream is. Show me something, God, that, that you can do in and through me. Show me that my life still matters. That you can use me, even with the limitations that I have, financially or any other way. You can still use me, God. Like, like what can you possibly do? Show me. Maybe you know specifically what it is in your life. And I ask you to circle to circle, as, as often as you pray, lift it up to God. Knowing that God can do far more than you can think or imagine. Trusting that. You can also pray for your church. That we, that we might be one church on one mission for one community. How that's going to work, I have no idea. I got no idea. I got, like, but I know that Whatever, if God is calling us to it, it's worth it. 
whatever it is. Amen. Several years ago, uh, now probably three years ago now, a group of us got together at, and, and prayed about the vision for our churches here in this community. And we came up, this was my notes from it, and they've been in my backpack for a while, so they look kind of tattered. But, but several things on here that we said, this is what God is, is calling us to see happen in our community. Some of them we've made a little progress on. Some of them, no progress at all. First one on my list, the very first one, a daycare. A daycare in our community, sponsored by our church. Fourth one on the list was a weekly senior luncheon and ministry, feeding seniors in our community. We, we kind of started that. Support groups for families. Several things on here that, that have left, been left undone because, well, maybe we stopped praying. God, show me. God, show me. What, what is it? I invite you to pray. To pray about a focus on families here in our community. Pray about a focus on the lost here in our community. That we as a church might, might use all the resources we've got. Believing that God is going to use it for his glory. And I may not understand, but I'm going to trust he's at work. And I'm going to lean in. That's what I ask of you. To pray for these next 14 days now, because we're seven days into a 21-day challenge. Pray for 14 more. God, use us. Show me. Inspire me. Convince me. Convict me. Use me, Lord. That's my prayer for you. Amen. Let's pray together. I thank you for what you're doing in and through us. Meet us here, Lord. Use us. Bless us for your kingdom. Build it here. We praise you.